Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Kraus Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And eh, today's eh, eh. <laughs> and today's co-host, unfortunately for us today, <laughs> is uh, Kurt. When are you going to stop talking shit about me being a co-host on this podcast? This Just isn't kidding. a shooting the shit episode. There's a there's this. a high. Our testosterone is high today. I feel like on this episode we're doing night vision. <laughs> yeah. <I know>. <laughs> <Psych>. <laughs> So today's a good episode. I think it's a good episode because Kurt doesn't. I think it's a good episode because <laughs> we, we're talking about combat mindset. And combat mindset is different. I think overall different than uh, any kind of thing that we talked about. Because I, I did a podcast on warrior mindset. And yeah, warrior mindset's like the precursor. When we talk combat mindset, we're talking about the actual mindset you need to engage yourself in combat. So basically executing all the things that you think you're capable of but not really yeah uh, until, until you really do it yeah until you're proven so yeah it's gonna be an interesting episode and before we go into the episode i, I want to answer a couple of questions that we got off social media and we often get questions that turn into episodes like this one or that we like to answer and i'm going to pull up a question now that was asked by a, a guy in the u.s marine corps and he's a uh, staff sergeant right? it's a staff sergeant still yep question he had he would love to hear our opinion or insight on he comes from a traditional infantry background prior to going to special operations. What was the difference in training between the two? And we'll, we'll answer that and then we'll go into the rest of his question because it's multi. Um, there's a couple of them in there. Yeah. So what, what is the difference between special operations and training between the two, the infantry and, and SF? My experience. Uh, so I started off in the airborne infantry in the army uh, prior to going to, to uh, you know, special forces or army special operations. And, uh, you know, to be quite honest, uh, a lot of the training was similar. Um, I think the difference uh, was there's a little bit less risk aversion in uh, in special operations as far as the type of training that you do. And then obviously you're getting a lot more training. Right. And, and just based off of budgets, you know, uh, special operations has a larger budget than the regular army does. So, you know, you get the opportunity to do a lot more. Yeah, it's it's almost apples and oranges when you think about it, because the mission requirements completely different you know when you're talking about the infantry where you're working in a you're working with a team a squad a platoon you're doing large scale movements and you have a lot of people that you have to train at the same time so it's you're not going to get that one-on-one -on -one that you're going to get in special operations yeah you know where you have like an, a good 18 bravo or weapon sergeant who's educating the rest of the team and you get to focus on specific skill sets Right. Uh, so it's a little bit more complex. I also think, you know, like you said, budgets, there's more opportunities in special forces because we have a, a, a wide range of specialized missions, direct right. action, hostage rescue, special reconnaissance, et cetera. Well, uh, and another good point that you brought up is, is we really, you know, when we were in special operations, you focus on the individual operator first, and then you do collective training, right, for collective tasks, whether that's maneuvering as a team or doing a free fill or free fall, free fill, free fall, uh, jump together or something to that effect. But it starts individually, right? When you show up and go through the Q course for this example, for special forces. And then, uh, and then there's other training that you do collectively, uh, when you finish with your team, when you get there. Yeah. All good points. And he goes on to say, I mean, as far as mindset limitations versus leeway, risk aversion opportunities and approach, as a Marine Infantry Platoon Sergeant, I'm constantly working with my LT and squad leaders to develop new ideas and sources to advance training practices. I understand line grunts and soft have different mission sets, but there are many training goals that def def definitely overlap, such as marksmanship, field craft, communications, etc. 
How can the infantry better adopt a higher standard of training practices? Or am I completely wrong and looking from an outside perspective? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. The, the best part of that question is the, uh, the advancement, right, of, of skill sets. I think the problem with the infantry and, and, and some even special operations unit is they internalize to resource the training from in, inside instead of looking from different points and perspectives. For example, like in special operations, we'll seek and hire a professional shooter. Now, he's not a tactician. He just is good at one uh, facet of the overall skill set, which is shooting. And, he, you know, he's not necessarily doing shoot, move, communicate. He's doing shooting. So we take that one specialized skill set and we take away the things that we need and then apply it to our practices in Haas's rescue and direct action. So when you look at improving the infantry as a whole, you have to follow the same similar mindset. Because remember, a lot of people want to sh focus on shooting, for example. If I had a regular line infantry company and I was trying to build the soldiers up, I'd hire a consultant to come in and teach warrior mindset. I would hire a, a special operations guy to come in and teach planning. These kind of things outside of like just shoot, move, communicate are very important in developing soldiers' minds because it's not just about their technical skills, but it's about mindset. Oh, yeah. Well, the, and then the interesting part about all of this, and that's why I brought it up from the beginning, is, uh, you know, a lot of regular, whether it's the Marine Corps or any branch of service, sometimes can be limited by funds. And so um, what I would encourage you to do is reach out to, like Mike's talking about, special operations guys and different uh, people in, in that arena that are willing to help out. Um, you know, because they believe in the cause and, uh, you know, they're not going to charge you a friggin' arm and a leg, uh, to help you out. Yeah. We just got asked by a national guard unit, if we can go up to grand junction and, and teach some national guard guys. Absolutely. man. That's, that's stuff I do in my free time. Right. I did it the same way when I was training my team in 19th group is, you know, I didn't always focus on this, uh, flat range work. Mm -hmm. you, you know, we had classes on behavioral dynamics, on mindset, on, diplomatic functions and roles and responsibilities, education, you know, right. things that are free. The one last part to that is, is source the talent that you have within your element, right? Because you have a platoon full of guys. They're not just nugs. You got some guys with experience and different fields, expertise. You have guys who are consultants, business people. There's a whole bunch of free asseted information that you could extract from in a regular line company. That's why we have different books that we recommend to read, right? Because you can go and buy a book for 10 fucking bucks and gain all this experience from a guy that who's been there and done that, right? So there's books written about mindset. There's books written about training. Um, and, and there's a lot of things there. If you just invest some of your time um, and pick up a book and read about it, uh, you're going to get tenfold back on what you can teach your dudes. Yeah, and if you don't want to buy it, just go to Barnes & Noble, buy a Frappuccino. <laughs> You yeah. sit there for a couple hours, read. <laughs> Sir, I used to do that shit all the time. You either got to buy it or go. That's true. There's, <laughs> there's, I mean, go to a library. There's really no excuse. Source the internet. There's tons of opportunities. Hell, man. I, I would, you know, just, I remember you used to think shaman was when you watched a video in high school, right? The teacher puts in the video for an hour and you're like, yeah. this is awesome. <laughs> but the reality is you learned a lot from that. I mean, media has completely changed the way we learn and educate ourselves fucking put in a YouTube tutorial on some kind of skill set that yeah that that's working and then have your guys practically apply it. Applying a tourniquet, for example. There's yep. YouTube videos on it. 
you get some cat teas, some uh, rat tourniquets, and then and you you do the practical exercise, and, and and you'll all be better for it. So all good points. Yeah, so I appreciate that question. And if you guys got any more questions, feel free to hit us up at info at philcraftsurvival.com uh, anytime or DM us on our social media. So kicking off combat mindset. All right, guys, so combat mindset, different from warrior mindset, right? I mean, it's we're talking about the implementation of the mindset that we needed when we were in combat operations. And the, the interesting thing that I think about when analyzing kind of that is we had an idea in our training of what combat was going to be like. And I remember asking myself a lot, do I have what it takes to kill somebody? Mm-hmm. I mean, do I have, you know, I would, I would listen to stories of guys that were in engagements and how they killed bad guys. And that's a, an undertaking. I wouldn't say a difficult undertaking. It's an undertaking because it's completely out of the realm of normalcy. It's completely different. So, I always thought, hey, man, when it comes time, when shit hits the fan, do I have what it takes? And thank goodness I had I was set up for success in training to where when when things did happen, I was able to get through that process and then learn a lot about it every single time it happened. Right. And so being in combat was really like the end state, but a, a constant learning process that you always refined as you uh, adapted. Right. Uh, and nobody knows that until they've actually done it. Right. You know, when you when you started out and uh, did your first combat rotation with Corlers, did, you know, you, you had the training leading up to that. Right. You got stories, the war stories that people told that there were combat veterans before. But when, when you got there in your first gunfight, were you able to execute what you learned and, and what was that process like? Yeah, I mean, um, so for me, you know, my first combat rotation was with uh, the 18th Airborne Corps Long Range Surveillance Company. And I was on a team of, uh, you know, it was myself and five other guys. And that that first deployment, the training leading up to that, you know, um, I was in the infantry. And so we did, you know, battle drills and learn how to maneuver together and bound and lay down suppressive fire and do all these different uh, things and movements, right. To, to envelop or overcome uh, the enemy. And then when I got to Iraq in the first firefight I got into, um, you know, at that point I had been in the military for probably, I don't know, close to six years, I think. And so I had a lot of training behind me, whether it was a JRTC rotation, NTC, um, and different training environments like that, where you're constantly doing battle drills, you're constantly training. And I can honestly say that, um, my first engagement, uh, you do. And, and we actually, and this is the reason why we preach this when we train people is you are not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to rise to the level of your training. And every time I'm on the range teaching people, I tell them that, right. And, uh, and I truly believe in that because I've lived it. And, um, so that first engagement was literally, uh, you know, we were, you know, shooting, maneuvering and, and doing what we had trained to do. Yeah. I remember the, uh, the first time I was in a gunfight in Afghanistan and it was a indirect attack, but you know, we were expecting a direct attack because all the fire bases at that time were getting hit with coordinated attacks, which mm-hmm. is the both of them, you know, indirect and direct. And so I made the battle drill plan for our fire, fire base and I had it chalked up, you know, I had it on the board and we did rehearsals. And so it was an exercise in a battle drill, like you said, you know, that you practice leading up to it. And, you know, this, this whole saying practice makes perfect. It's the reality of the implementation of 
doing a good job in combat, you know, right. doing your job in combat. But, you know, combat is a very dynamic, always changing thinking man's game. And so when you when you look at training processes, when they train you, they train you for specific things. So, I mean, if you looked at a, at a graph and it was pinging, all the top of the pings are things that you would train because those are things that you you focus on. But when you look at the reality of, of warfare in those lulls in between, you have to be thinking. Right. And you can't just be reacting or acting out on things that you've trained on. They're not autopilot responses. You have to have manual responses or manual think thought processes where you have to think about stuff. The first gunfight that I was in, I was on a 50 cal and I was shooting at a poo site, a point of origin site. And it was where the bad guys were. There was like a source there. And I was lighting it up. And I remember coming off the gun and running to get all my Afghans on the wall because I wanted to hit them to hit the wall just in case an uh, indirect attack or a, a direct attack happened. And so I was running around doing all this stuff. And at the same time, I'm like trying to get it on video, of course, with me <laughs> being Asian. I, I was trying to do that at the same time. But I remember after it was all done, uh, having an after action review. And I was amped up. I, I, won't, I won't lie. I was pretty amped up and I was excited. I remember one of the civil affairs guy was yelling down at me from the rooftop and he was on a 240 machine gun when I was trying to get the Afghans to hit the wall. And he said, Mike, I see the poo site. I see guys at the poo site. And he like yelled at me and I'm like, we'll shoot them. And I'm like, kill them. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. But he just wanted to be clear, you know, so he's looking for that guidance, which is a, a different conversation altogether. But anyways, after I got done with uh, everything, I realized that I had my hearing intact. And I didn't have ear pro on when I was shooting the 50 cow. Right. And I remember the first book I, I mean, the first book I was intrigued by was a book by Grossman on, uh, on killing. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting book because it talked about warfare and actually pulling the trigger on bad guys. And it had statistics about guys from different wars that were literally engaging nothing because they were afraid to be engaged with the enemy. Right. Well, anyways, the auditory exclusion was one of the things that happened under stress. And I paid attention to that because I realized that, hey, that's a benefit in a way because, you know, if you don't have ear pro, you still retain your hearing because your your body shifts focus and shuts off physiological senses. Uh, senses and then you could, you could hear. So then I remember as time went on and we started getting into ticks, into uh, troops in contact, little skirmishes, how I didn't have that ability anymore where I would shoot my M4 at bad guys and every time i shot it would be like beep, beep, oh, beep, yeah. and then no hearing at all yeah. hence why i'm this part of my disability is hearing loss yeah. and so you know as we advanced in warfare we got smarter and started doing different things but those are kind of the the responses that you need to understand when when looking at how to be a better combat warfighter and have a better mindset because you need to know how you're going to react and respond one thing, and I'm going to ask you for your feedback in a second. I'm going on a tangent. But one thing that's that drives me nuts is seeing infantry guys. And, and I could say this shit because I'm a fucking sergeant major. We're both senior SF guys. But young fucking infantry dudes getting in gunfights and shooting at absolutely nothing. Now, there's a time and place for everything, right? You, you're suppressing the bad guys because you're getting their heads down. But there's another really way to look at it when you get a GoPro on your fucking helmet and you're shooting your... Your M4 with an ACOG, a one, a one to four power optic or one to three power optic, and you're not shooting at anything because you're not looking through your optic because you're stressed out and you're just 
blasting at a general direction. A lot of those responses in, in combat, the things that you see like on these videos, are good analysis for the things you shouldn't do <laughs> or, or the way you shouldn't react, which are mainly related to stress-related uh, reactions. So in a nutshell, in this episode, we're talking about stress mitigation because the reality is the more you understand of how stress works, especially when it comes to combat, the more you can understand what you need to do physically and mentally to stay in the game focused and kill bad guys, which is the ultimate you know, objective really of combat mindset. Well, the interesting part about that is like we're talking about when the engagement starts, right? And what that, and then you're kind of bringing up the point, you know, that um, I think in some guys, uh, their tactical maturity isn't fully developed. So they're young dudes. And when you've been doing it a long time and you kind of settle down and you understand that uh, I've identified where the enemy is and now I'm going to put accurate fire on him and I'm going to end the fight. I'm yeah. thinking about the bar the other day. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that story. The interesting part about that is is uh, the, the story that Mike wants me to tell is, uh, and I at the time, I was actually a student as well, and we, were, we would do video AARs. So we would get videotaped doing CQB. And I can specifically remember, um, you know, there was a breaching problem set up and we were working through mechanical breaching. If you don't know what that is, it's essentially using hammers, tools, anything you can right to overcome a locking mechanism on a door and then go in and conduct uh, close quarters combat. So uh, the scenario is uh, a guy goes to breach the door, he's got a hammer. And typically the way we teach it is that, you know, a guy breaches the door, steps out of the way and lets got, you know, the other guys from the stack go in. Um, you know, we were all learning and this guy became a little bit overwhelmed. And so he knocked the door open with the hammer, stepped inside with the hammer to clear, you know, to clear uh, his area or his responsibility in the room, but he was standing there with a hammer, right? Because it, it, Cause it felt like the tactile. <laughs> I, I maybe felt yeah. <laughs> like a gun. Right. So it was funny. We all learned from that, right? So, um, you know, that guy got a lot of shit for that. You know, he dropped the hammer transition to his primary weapon system and engaged a target. But um, that's kind of what we're talking about. It, when we talk about combat mindset, it's like learning all these little things that, that Mike and I experienced on different deployments. And, you know, I know I wasn't perfect at, do, at doing a lot of these things. And so it was a learning process going through this. Lucky, luckily for me and Mike, you know, we lived through that. Um, and so we take those lessons learned and, and try to give those back to people. The interesting thing about just that, that situation, and we deal with it through learning processes when we teach. One thing we do at Philcraft, and, and you know, this is just stroking our own egos, I guess, but we want you guys to understand this, that, it, you know, learning is an evolution it's an it's an evolutionary process and we're never not learning right and we're always identifying new tactics new techniques new procedures to uh you know enable and benefit the client the in and the end result right uh, which is being a better survivalist in, in in modern society yeah and so one of the things that i think about is you know when, when you're stressed out you make decisions and when you run on autopilot, right, you have two two mechanisms and a neuroscientist buddy of ours probably will shoot this shit down. I'm sorry, but this is how I understand it. You have two parts of your brain that are that are that are processed. One is the like auto like I was gonna say autoimmune <laughs> deficiency. It's the AIDS the of the training world. Yeah. Uh, no, it's like the, uh, the yeah. <laughs> you've got the AIDS you got of AIDS training and you got herpes. Um, 
So it, it's the autopilot response, right? It's the, the look at his muscle memory and training venues, tactical training venues, especially we talked about, we talk about this process, which is learning through repetition and building the muscle memory required to act on autopilot. Yeah. And so there, that's one part of it, but the, the skills that you specifically learn, like for example, entering a room during CQB with another guy, right? So two room clear center fed, let's call it center fed. You're clearing your corner, you're collapsing your sector, right? Right. So you you enter your corner, enter your corner, you clear your corner, you move to your point of domination, and you collapse your sector. So that's one part of it. So you could actually train that to muscle memory, where you walk in, you step with your right foot in, so you could pivot to the left. You dig your barrel, you maneuver your barrel and sweep it. But now we put a target in that corner. Mm -hmm. So now you have to think and go, oh, there's a target. Oh, but now you got to identify the target. You got to go, hey, is there hands? Does it have a weapon in his hands? You got an S vest. And then you have to assess. Right. And then you add the breaching. And then you add the obstacles like the furniture. Yep. And then you add a bad guy who's dynamic. Yep. And now you're bangers and, you're, and it goes on and on. Right. So at the end of it, what you have is parts of the training process that are on autopilot. Right. But other parts where you have to remain conscious. And what I say is, you know, you want to build s specific skill sets that are technical that are autopilot. Meaning, like, when I do my draw stroke, which sounds awesome, <laughs> when I do my draw stroke, look, I draw it on autopilot. I'm not thinking about anything. When I throw my gun out, the only thing I'm doing is calibrating that last millimeter of dialing in that front sight. I'm getting front sight focus depending on the, the distance of the target, and I'm I'm pressing. Right. But in that, I'm also consciously observing the target and identifying if it's friend or foe. Right. So if you grow up on a flat range and all you do is draw and shoot, draw and shoot, and then you get in an environment where now you identify a threat, but you haven't thought through that process and now you draw and shoot, right. you could be shooting the wrong person or the person that's not an imminent threat. Right. And so there's a whole bunch of uh, disconnection impeding your ability to think. So the process is you have to be able to think consciously or remain conscious through every unconscious act. Right. So if you're driving your car, that's an autopilot auto response. Well, when you're talking to somebody while you're driving, you're thinking consciously, but you're doing the driving on autopilot. So it's the same thing. You want to be able to walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. And the better you are at doing that, meaning the, the better you are at identifying unknown situations that you have to think through yeah the better off you're going to be so what does that mean that means that the flat range isn't necessarily the marker for getting better at coping with uh, combat stress or dealing in combat mindset yeah it could be a fucking word game right it could be a hey i want you to do uh, a scramble where you're going to do the, a physical movement and then you're going to also think through a process mm -hmm. uh, so think outside the box in this in this arena when dealing with this stuff well i mean you know, a lot of interesting points that you're bringing up and all again, I think in a lot of ways, what helps set us apart when it comes to teaching this kind of stuff is the sheer amount of, you know, time that we spend overseas. And, and then, you know, not only those, those deployments, but it's all the time that we spent training and, and just putting ourselves in um, different environments because you never wanted to be unprepared. Yeah. That's, and that's all good points. When, Another thing, I, I just recently heard this. You know, I read it. I think you 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 reposted it. Yeah, it was the CCT guy. Was he combat controller? No, 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 no. He was a uh, eighteen echo. He was a uh, martial guy. <laughs> he was um, force recon. No, he's an SF guy. 
He was? Yeah, from 10th group. What is he calling air? Because uh, the whole write-up talks about him. Yeah, he controlled an AC-130 and H-64s. And in the end, his tally was like 27 or 30 dudes dead, something like that. Awesome. The more yeah. the merrier. The coolest thing about that story is his ability. I mean, he was pinned down in a courtyard. He was dragging buddies back and forth. He was very dynamic, right? Which, right. Is, which is combat. Combat is a very stressful, dynamic environment. And what stood out to me about that is his resiliency oh yeah and so you know the thought processes between conscious thought and unconscious thought is one thing but there's another value or mindset characteristic that you need which is the will and the need to survive i've witnessed this i've been on a, a rooftop with chris mm -hmm. our buddy chris and we were pinned down and it was bad it was probably the closest that i've been to being shot uh, and fragged and hit with an RPG and a mortar round. Like we took every, it was crazy. Cause it was, you know, basically we were on a rooftop and it developed into pot shots because we were getting shot at by the, the solder city, by the militias. And then it evolved into RPGs air bursting over us. And then it evolved into uh, mortar rounds, literally bracketing us. Yeah. I mean, all we had to do is take one mortar round on the rooftop that we were on. And it would have, we, we, everybody would have been a casualty. But I remember we were with a regular army. I think they were out of 4th ID. And they were pinned down with us. And they were acting good. I mean, yeah. some, of, some of the kids were stressed out. This was their first combat deployment, some of them. And this was actually their first trip outside the wire. Okay. So this is their first, first combat tick. Op, Their first tick. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, me and Chris, were, you know, we're just doing what we do. My biggest concern is not getting hit by the F-16 that was flying above us. So we were trying to communicate with the combat controller. But I remember we were pinned down on this rooftop and these kids had to be told what to do. And that's for a reason. You know, when you're in the infantry, you are told what to do because you need to be reactive, meaning there needs to be short periods of time where you react to uh, stay in front of the enemy, stay right. ahead of the enemy. As opposed to NSF, where things are more complex, where uh, it's, it's just a different game that right. we're playing. Well, when it came to that time for these kids to think outside the box, it was very difficult for them to make their own decision. Mm -hmm. And that's a learning process. One of the kids was a saw gunner and he had a saw that I later took from him and, and used, but he was on the backside of the rooftop and he said, hey, I got guys maneuvering towards mm -hmm. us. And I said, what are they doing? He said, they got guns and they're maneuvering. They're running from vehicle to vehicle. And I could see them in the field. They're hundreds of meters away. But then I said, shoot them, kill them. And he's like, uh, okay, Roger that. <laughs> and then he just started going off, but he needed direction. Mm -hmm. And so we, we're going through that whole process, you know, delegating and disseminating and, and getting through it. But we had this will to never stop the gunfight, never stop the uh, engagement. There's a video on, I know you've seen it. It's a video on Instagram, on YouTube, where this kid, he's running down a mountain in the open. Oh yeah. He gets shot. And he, he gets his gun shot out of his hands and he fought, hides behind a boulder. And, you know, in, in kid, he's probably 250 pounds. Yeah. Gets behind a boulder and he yells, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit, medic, I'm hit. And he's like begging for his life, but not really doing anything. And I, I'm going to armchair quarterback. I don't give a fuck because I'll tell it to his face that, you know, I'm, he should be open to criticism because he, he fucking did the wrong thing. Right. Which is you always have the will to survive. You always stay resilient and never give up. And he pretty much gave up on the side of that hill. Uh, I was just waiting for the bad guys to pop him in his nugget because I thought he was 
uh, pretty wide open. And he was just, he was, that was the next thing that was going to happen. The next reasonable thing in that situation to happen because he had no cover. He had no will and it was a bad place to be. Yeah. I know which video you're talking about. It, it's a one rough to watch because you, you don't want to, well, I, I always hate putting myself or I watch those videos and I'm like, damn, I would have done maybe this or that, or, you know, so you're looking at all that kind of stuff, but those guys, you know, obviously the guy on the ground, you've got to make those decisions. Right. So, um, and I mean, we can honestly have some educated opinions about it cause we've been there and done that. So, um, always interesting though, watching those things. No, I, I think back to my own personal experiences, you know, like Mike's talking about a, a pretty bad situation he was in, in Sauter city. And, um, I had a, a similar, uh, deal happened early on in my career um, in Mosul. And, uh, you know, my vehicle took a direct hit from a improvised explosive device. Uh, it was an IED initiated ambush, destroyed my vehicle. I was driving, I got wounded, all kinds of shit going on, right? But I think back to that experience and I always ask myself, and it's funny, right? Because it happened a long time ago, but I still think about that and I try to uh, extract information from that scenario um, you know, to help teach people what was going on, you know, and then of course, multiple combat trips after that, and then different experiences being in firefights, but taking and drawing, uh, all those experiences to give, to teach people what a combat mindset is. So Mike and I were talking about, um, earlier, you know, you mentioned warrior mindset and you hear a lot of stuff in professional sports about being a warrior, being on the battlefield and all these different experiences. But at the end of the day, you're, ass really isn't on the line. It's not like having a 762 by 39 round snap over the top of your nugget um, and wakes your ass up in a hurry. Um, or you see a guy get wounded or killed or, or something to that extent and having to, to work through that whole uh, situation. But the interesting part about that is, you know, when we talk about combat mindset is that no bullshit, you know, we are talking about you're getting fucking shot at and you are trying to kill somebody else. And kind of in thinking through that process and and understanding what that means. And, and I will tell you that uh, through multiple deployments, uh, you know, I've seen the enemy die on the battlefield. And and part of that combat mindset in my mind is, you know, you hear different guys talk about how it affects them. And, and I'll just tell you how um, that affected me. And it doesn't because it was in like for me, I was impartial. The bottom line was, is I had a job to do. And, you know, if you were on the other side, um, I didn't have a problem putting you down. So each individual guy has his own way about how they process that kind of information. But it's important to know because uh, that has, you know, lasting effects on the backside. Um, and I don't struggle with any of that morally, personally. Um, I don't struggle with any of that. So, yeah, you, it's a good point in not doing that is is potential death. Right. Because let's say you have a different way of, of thinking through that. And you're like, well, everybody has every life is valuable. Well, yeah, yeah that's that's good to say. But let me tell you the the uh, reality, the, the reality of that is let's say you do have that and it breeds it breeds hesitancy or inconsistency in you. Right. Now you're standing around in a group, a guy is a potential suicide bomber, and then you have to make the decision, do I shoot this dude in his face or do I just let him come towards us? And it happens all the time. I mean, people are killed or people are saved by quick decision-making on the battlefield, which is the, the next thing I was gonna talk about, which is a good transition. You know, you, you don't have the time to debate 
the morality of your life experiences. Yeah. You the, the bottom line is when you're in combat, there's like Kurt said, there's one side and there's the other side. And if you don't have the mindset that you're going to get home to mama, whether you're a police officer or in the military, you probably shouldn't be doing the job. You probably shouldn't be doing the job <laughs> because let me tell you what happens if you if you hesitate on the battlefield. If you hesitate, you're going to get yourself killed or you're going to get your teammates killed. Or even worse. Yeah, or even worse. When your teammates killed. And that could, yeah, that's absolutely the worst thing. So, you know, looking at decision making, making choices, part, it, you know, we talked about resiliency uh, just a little bit ago. But when you're fighting for your life, you're staying conscious, which is the first thing we talked about. Yeah. And you're making decisions. There's always decisions to be made, there's always conscious thought to be involved. You don't just arbitrarily get up on a gun and start shooting at bad guys. You identify the threats. Right. You pop them in their nuggets, and every round counts. And so, when you're when you're going through the duration of combat, firefight, gunfight, pistol fight as a law enforcement officer, you have to re remain in it until it's completion. Right. It's completion doesn't mean like for an SF. I, I know we've been in, you know, situations where we get in gunfights, and you roll out thinking it's over, and then it's just begun. Yeah. You know, it's it's a baited ambush mm -hmm. or it's a, a it's a, a bait and switch where they, you know, they bring you into an area. Now it's a complete different tactic that they're doing. Right. And now you have to think through those same processes. So when you're going through this situation, stay conscious and and make choices all the time. Always think, hey, there's something else uh, that I have to do here. Yeah. Somebody asked us the the other day, what do you do like in the lull of a gunfight or, or the lull, lull of an active shooter situation? And the answer was you take a knee, face out, pull security. Because at the end of the day, there's always a task. And the rawest task that's going to keep your ass alive is when there's nothing going on, there's a lull in the gunfight, you, you're still observing. Yeah. You're still scanning. Well, I think it's being proactive too. Yeah. And we always, you know, we used to talk about that a lot when we were doing CQB and stuff like that, but it's. There's and, always work yeah, to be this, done, right? Yeah, exactly. In the schoolhouse, right? Yeah. yeah. They were always like, hey, if you're just standing there staring at a fucking wall, you're wrong. Like do something. You know what I mean? So a great example there is a lull in the gunfight. You may be fucking cross-loading ammunition to different trucks or... What, MWE, right? Yeah, men's weapons and equipment? Men's weapons and equipments. MWEs. <laughs> no, but I mean, and you know, we used to call it an ACE report, right? ACE report. Yeah. So ammo. Ammo casualties. casualties and, and then you did, you equipment. know, your 100%, right? Yeah. So, um, but it's a good point that Mike brings up is, uh, is staying proactive, right? Because even when the gunfight's in a lull... Uh, you can do some things and be proactive that are going to set you up on the backside. So if that way contact happens again, uh, you're prepared for it. I, I always thought we explained this in the uh, modern survival course, but I always thought the it, it's funny how training processes and experiences work because it's it's almost and you can identify this on the elite performance of athletes of elite athletes where you're so good, you're so comfortable. Like for us, we're comfortable in chaos. Things don't get us amped up, so we don't have that physiological uh, stress that's impeding progresses, right. depending on the uh, individual operator. But then you get to the point where you're too comfortable, right? You know, I, I, I was I make the example of being in a hitting a foreign safe house in Iraq, and you know, being in a gunfight where we're throwing grenades and shits going down, little birds are going Winchester, they're they're emptying on buildings, and we're all standing around in the open in an open fucking field. While the sun's coming up in Iraq. Right. And I just look around like, why the fuck are you guys standing up? Take a knee. Like, who gives a fuck? I'm like, well, 
the person, the the PKM gunner gives a fuck <laughs> yeah. because if he runs up here and he does grazing fire across this whole field, he just needs one burst and can mow down half the dudes here. Yeah. So why would you not uh, evolve or or do something more more right? Do, <laughs> do something more right. Yeah. Do do more right. right. No, it's funny that you bring that up because I'm thinking about specific when I first got to Charlie Company, Second Battalion. And we did uh, third special forces. Third group. special forces. We group. do bad things to bad people. Fearless men. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Who jumped <laughs> God, where was I at? Oh no, but but you brought up. Uh, you made me laugh about something because you know my first experience in combat. Um, you know, like I was telling the story earlier, I got fucking ID'd, and uh, that was a pretty profound experience. That um, you know, ha- it definitely was lasting. I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. But you know, when I got to SF. Um, first trip to Afghanistan and, you know, some of the younger guys would joke with me about driving around Afghanistan. I'm like, was real serious about IED drills and shit like that. Right. Because I had experienced that, um, you know, but they used to joke with me and they were like, Jesus, man, you're fucking nervous. And I'm like, wait till you get fucking IED, bro. Like it's going to pucker your asshole and our shit better be straight. Right. Because when you start taking casualties, and you're trying to work through not only having a down vehicle, right, but you're working through fucking getting ambushed and all this other shit. Uh, your fucking SOPs better be locked tight, and you know you better get the job done. So that's that's a real good point. I've I've had similar experiences with mo- with mobility and senior team guys. Because again, the senior you are, right, the more lackadaisical you become, and you're like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Like, who cares? And that's all good and well. But when you're the new guy, you kind of I think it's the new guy's jobs to come in and and maintain kind of this uh, structure and this standard because, you know, people think Green Berets are special operations guys, period, or cowboys. Yeah. And yeah, we, we're cowboys. There's no doubt. But the reason cowboys are so good is because they're so good at what they do. They're, they're very technical and they, they grew up doing it. Right. And so when you, when you look at being better at having a combat mindset, the being better is not, not half-assing it. Right. Not taking shortcuts. Right. Like, Hey man, we're going to do fucking rehearsals every time uh, before we do a raid. Yep. You know, that's really important to understand. I've actually been involved with law enforcement, you know, training them. And I've seen some SWAT teams do hits, right? And the best hits that I've seen are, are the, even for us, the, the best hits are the ones that do a rehearsal, even if it's a talk through, mm-hmm. even if it's, Hey, hey, Mike, what are you going to do on the objective? Well, I'm I, on the initial breach. I'm the number one man. I'm locking down security. I'm entering and then I'm flowing through the, the rest. I'm I'm number one dude for sensitive site exploitation, post assault. I'm TQing. You, you, you identify your role, responsibility and what you're doing during the actions on the objective. That's a rehearsal. Now, a full blown rehearsal is a mock up. You're doing the full scale thing. We do that with Indige all the time. Right. But it's important. It's an important imperative in this battle drill mentality that we have, mm-hmm. where we grow up and and we know what to do together when we get hit together. Right. You know, if if I'm with, uh, for example, if I'm with another team, let's say I'm with Psyops guys, which uh, we love Psyops guys. We had a good buddy Eric and Callie, who's a Psyops guy, who's fucking phenomenal. You know, they're part of special operations. Well. When they integrate into our team, if we don't do rehearsals and SOP development and they don't understand what we're doing in a gunfight, that could get them killed. Right. So you have to do shit like that. Or they get in the way and become a liability and that's just unacceptable. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, What do you think? Give me the the number one value, the number one value in combat to have a good combat mindset. 
Yeah, number one value is uh, aggressiveness. Like that. So it's like the violence part of right. speed violence. Yeah, because mm -hmm. like you said, I think that goes along with uh, what you said earlier about indecision. You have to make a fucking decision. And the reason why we trained so much was so we have the ability uh, to work through problem sets and make good decisions. I think in a way, we're masters of decision making. That's really what you need. And that that comes with diversity. That comes with experience. Right. That comes with different training methodology, not just battle drills and combat shit and fucking guns. Right. We're talking about thinking man's game. I would say if it was my decision, looking at values, I would say the most important one is uh, commitment. And I, I would say commit, which is almost the same as uh, uh, aggression. But when you, when you look at commitment, it's commitment to the cause, right? If you have commitment to the unit, to your boys, to the country, to all these different things, then you're going to get your ass up in the morning. You're going to do SOP rehearsal. You're going to make sure your shit's straight. You're going to do pre-combat inspections on your own equipment. Right. You know, you're going to make sure your, your ammo's topped off, the trucks are fueled up, and you, you care. You give a shit. It, it's just like nurturing a relationship. Yep. And then when you get to the point in which shit hits the fan, you're prepared because your boys are prepared because you get the commitment of being involved with the love of your brothers. Yeah, you're doing all the right stuff on the backside to make sure you're successful when the shit hits the fan. Absolutely, it's like it's like for us, going to yeah. the gym, eating right, drinking beer, <laughs> bitch slapping dudes at bars. <laughs> it's what we do. So yeah, I appreciate the input. You know, this is, it, believe it or not, oh, you probably believe it because it, we're, we're a shit show sometimes, but we do these episodes off the top of our heads based off experience. And right. I think that's the rawest form that we owe you right. is we're, you know, this shit's not can. I'm not looking in a book. I'm not Googling shit. This is shit out of our back pocket. <laughs> so sometimes you get a ball of lint and sometimes you get a gold <laughs> coin, a gold nugget. Hopefully more, more gold nuggets than yeah. balls of lint, balls of lint, <laughs> balls of shit, dingleberries. Some things that are in the works for us, you know, we have a course September 16th and 17th, basic pistol and gunfighter carbine in Ceres, California, which is a huge deal for us yep. because California is basically anti-fall craft. <laughs> it's been a hard nut to crack. It has been. They hate <laughs> us. But also we have the October 13th, 14th, and 15th assessment course in Burnett, Texas, which is, you know, our assessment course in, at Reverly Ranch is the best opportunity for civilians, military, law enforcement, everybody to get a taste of what assessment's going to be like, but learn how to get through the different gates that are created to wash out people who are trying out for different special operations. Uh, yeah. Units. I mean, what I love uh, when you describe that course is that people don't actually start learning until they're broken down to their core. And uh, I think we have a very good way of a measured way that we do that based off of our experiences. And then we build you up and you get good information and you walk away. I mean, I literally, you know, it's not just because it's a field craft course, but like the, the end of the one that we did in Louisiana, you know, all the guys that came up and everybody walked away, whether they were going to some type of special operations assessment or they were just a civilian and they wanted to try it out. I mean, everybody left with with something that was super positive. And so for us, you know, that's uh, that's proof positive that we're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Hey, the coolest thing is we're getting feedback already from guys who are graduating basic training yeah. they've already finished ait so some of these guys are in the pipeline That's to right. go to a ranger regiment so they're yeah. going to the airborne school and then they'll be going to ras getting their a dick kicked in the dirt and they'll be better off for it so 
you know, we hope that we're setting these guys up for success. And then we look forward to doing those courses here in the future. Social media wise, you guys can find us on Instagram, which is our, our mainstay, which is soft survivor. Also Philcraft survival and then Kurt underscore team Philcraft. We appreciate you guys. Please leave feedback on this so we could beat Bernie Sanders <laughs> and please subscribe. <laughs> uh, we're a long way off on analytics, but we're like riding his, his, uh, coattails. coattails. We're um, coming for you, Bernie. We're coming for your ass. <laughs> Uh, one thing is one thing that we wanted to bring up too is that we're working with uh, a couple companies here in the near future, and the the most excited that I am to work with these companies are are uh, U.S. Night Vision. That's right, which is a, a great company that makes night vision commercial for commercial uses for civilians and also for military. Right, and great product. We've already R and D some of the products, and great company to work with, and and we intend to do training courses and survival and tactics here in the future. That's right. Also. Fall Raven, yeah, uh, I, I think it's uh, an awesome partnership with Fall Raven, being able to work with a Swedish company, right? Which makes, in my opinion, the best tactile, multi-purpose functioning clothes that you could wear in civilian life outside of, uh, you know, military cryo precision in Patagonia. I mean, right. this is the best shit that's available. Yeah, it is badass for sure. It's awesome. It's awesome. So closing out, you got anything? Yeah. Also, uh, one of the, one of the other relationships that we have is with uh, with Fall Ravens. I don't know if it's a sister company, but they are um, together, and it's Hanwag, and they make um, they make footwear. Are you saying that right? I think so. I think it's a German company. Hanwag. <laughs> we should know more about that, right? No, but um, they make great footwear. Check them out. Obviously, Fall Raven, U.S. Night Vision, all partners. And um, hey, the bottom line is is that we go out and source. Uh, you know, try to source the best brands and, uh, you know, Mike and I are lucky, lucky enough and feel craft. Uh, and we're super appreciative of the relationships that we have. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And, uh, we're appreciative of you guys. And thanks for all the support. If you guys got anything for us, obviously hit us up. We look forward to the next podcast coming up here in the near future until next time. Stay alert, stay alive.